Amen. While you're standing, you have your Bible. Turn with me. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10 and 38. I'm going to read a very familiar story, five verses of Scripture that you've probably heard all of your life ever since your very youngest Sunday school classes. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. If you have it, would you say amen? Amen. And the word of God says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her Martha you're troubled about many things but one thing is needful I want to preach for a few moments tonight on the one thing the one thing would you pray with me Lord Jesus I love you thank you for your anointing I thank you for the presence of God that I feel in this place I'm asking Lord that that transforming power of the Holy Ghost uh, would settle on this house. Touch us. Change us. Let us leave this house tonight having been changed by the power of your presence, Lord, that we would never, ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. Mary and Martha. What a familiar story. On the one hand, you have Martha, the responsible sister. On the other hand, you have Mary, the starry-eyed disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but every time that I hear the story, a conflict breaks out in my soul. I know that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I know that that is the better thing to do. But I can't help but identify with Martha. Poor, misunderstood Martha. You see, her only fault, it seems, is feeling the responsibility to do the things that have to be done. You know, if you're going to have Jesus over for dinner, somebody's got to clean the house. Somebody's got to fix the food. Somebody's got to be the good hostess that makes sure that everybody has a drink and makes sure that nobody's glass is empty for too long. There are a lot of things that go along with having someone as important as Jesus over to your house. And Martha gets that. That's what I like about Martha. That's what I love about Martha. 
Martha gets it. There are responsibilities in life that simply can't be forsaken. There are some things that are important that simply must be done. And Martha understands that. She gets that. So when I read the story and I come to Jesus' gentle but meaningful rebuke of Martha, a part of me almost feels guilty because I was rooting for her. I was pulling for her. When she came to Jesus and said, can you believe my sister has left me with all the work and, and she's sitting and not, I, I felt, I agreed with Martha. I was pulling for her because I know what it feels like to be the one that feels the responsibility and make sure that the, the work gets done while, while it seems like others just sit idly behind and aren't doing anything about it and don't really feel that weight and that responsibility and just kind of waiting for somebody else to get it done. I know what it feels like to be cumbered about with the heavy responsibility of the things that have to be done. The many things that are important and that are pressing I know how tired Martha felt. I know how weary Martha was. I, I know in my heart that Martha would have loved to be able to neglect the many things that needed to be done in order to stop and rest for a moment at the feet of the Master beside Mary but also know that there was something in Martha's own sense of responsibility that won't allow her to neglect the meaningful things that she's doing. You see, Martha feels like she's responsible for making it all come together. I can almost feel her anguish. I almost want to argue with Jesus for her to stand up for her and say, but somebody, Lord, has to do it. Somebody has to step up. Somebody has to make sure things get done. Somebody has to be responsible. Earlier this week as I was preparing for our Wednesday night service, the story of Mary and Martha was refreshed in my mind. I actually put it down in my notes and then, and then ended up not using it and that's where we are tonight I just picked it back up I felt like it wouldn't let go of me it wouldn't it, it wouldn't go away you see I found a fresh understanding of the principle that's demonstrated in the life of Mary and Martha in those five verses of scripture and I want to open your understanding for a moment this evening to recognize the message that Jesus was trying to convey to Martha and to the Martha that exists in every one of us to that sense of responsibility that drives us pushes us to be troubled about the many things in our life the story boils down to this basic set of facts Martha was troubled about many things but Mary was concerned with only one thing. And the point of Jesus' rebuke is not to say that the many things don't matter. 
but rather to say that the one thing is absolutely necessary. You see, the story of Mary and Martha is a story about priorities. Martha's problem was not that she was concerned with the many things. Martha's problem was that the many things that needed to be done were causing her to neglect the one thing that she needed to do. The problem was that the many things in her life, the many things that she recognized that needed to be done were causing her to exclude the one thing that was needful to her soul. The moral of the story is that there is one thing that we need more than we need anything else that there is one thing that is needed. That's what Jesus said. There's one thing that is needful. There's one thing that is essential. There's one thing, that thing that Mary chose, that one thing is spending time in the presence of God, spending time at the feet of Jesus. That one thing is absolutely essential. It is non-negotiable. It's the one thing we must have. We must spend time in the presence of the master. We must sit at the feet of Jesus. There has to be a place and there has to be a time and there has to be space in our life to be influenced by the hand of the master, to be spoken to by the voice of the master. There has to be that one thing in our life uh, that matters more than anything else and everything that we're involved in is secondary to that one thing. That is needful. That is necessary. That we must have. The one thing that Mary chose is the one thing that we all need. That's the one thing that brings vitality to our spiritual life. That's the one thing that empowers everything else that we do. That's the one thing that brings meaning to our busy, horribly involved lives. It is the one thing that makes everything else worth doing. Jesus' point was not to say that the many things are unimportant. It's not to say that the many things don't need to be done. It was not to say that the many things aren't necessary, but it was to say that the one thing is absolutely essential. The one thing is something you can't afford to neglect. Sure, somebody really does have to clean the house. Yes, somebody really does have to prepare the meal. Yes, somebody's really going to have to be the hostess. The point was that all of those necessary things can be neglected. That wasn't the point. Uh, but the point was uh, that all of those things need to be subordinate to the one thing that really matters. See, Martha had the same problem that many of us have. We're busy people. We do a lot of necessary things. We do a lot of important things. There are 
there are things in our life that simply must be done. There are many things that trouble us, many things that we're encumbered with, many things that we're involved in. We see the need and we step up and we spend ourselves and we spend our time and we spend our energy making sure that the many things that are important get done. The problem is that we act just like Martha. We get the cart before the horse. And when you get your priorities messed up, and when you get things out of order, you become troubled with the many things. The many things consume you. The many things empty you. The many things, uh, they drain you of the very reason for living. When you get your priorities out of order, when you get things all mixed up, when you let the the many things uh, occupy every hour in your day and every minute of every hour and all of your time and all of your energy and all of your effort is consumed in trying to take care of the many things live a life that is empty and destitute of spiritual power and authority the truth about the many things is that there are too many of them the truth about the many things is if you allow yourself to get wrapped up in the many things they will rob you of your peace of mind because no matter how hard you try there's never enough of you to get around to all of the things that need to be done The truth is that whenever you have fully spent yourself, whenever you have exhausted yourself in the pursuit of the many things that need to be done, when you're tired and worn out and when you're empty and you've used every effort and every ability that you have and you've done everything you can to make sure that the many things are done, you're going to lift your weary eyes in dismay at the many things that remain yet undone because you can't get it all done. That's the truth about the many things in your life. They captivate your time. They captivate your attention. They trouble your mind. They worry you in the late hour of the evening. They they keep you running around busy and tired and exhausted and weak. The many things, though they're needful, though they must be done, Though they are important to the kingdom of God, I want you to understand something about the many things. They're never going to satisfy your soul. They're never going to nourish the inner man. They're never going to replenish your depleted resources as long as you're in the pursuit of of, of getting done with the many things, of taking care of the multitude of responsibilities that are in your life. They'll take from you and take from you and take from you, but they'll never give you anything back. The problem is not the many things that need to be done. The problem is the priority that we assign to the many things that need to be done. When we put the many things first, when we put the many things ahead of everything else, when we make those our priority, the many things leave no room for the one thing that really matters the many things leave no room in our life for the one thing that is absolutely essential to our spiritual well being that's the point that Jesus was making to Martha
when we get the many things ahead of the one thing, the many things choke out the one thing in our lives. And the one thing is the thing we can't live without. The one thing is the thing that is absolutely necessary to the survival of our soul. The one thing is the only thing that insulates us against the weary, tired feeling that you feel most of the days that you live. It's the one thing that makes you feel satisfied instead of empty. It's the one thing that keeps you from feeling worn out and instead gives you joy and peace and comfort. It comes from the one thing that we neglect in our effort to fulfill the many things. When we put the one thing first. See, we don't understand the absolute essential necessity of the one thing. We think that we can push it into a corner somewhere in life and we think that we can do it on our own and we think that we're so busy with so many things that we don't have time for the one thing and what we don't understand is when we put the one thing first, it empowers us to accomplish the many things that need to be done. But when we put the many things first, they rob us of the spiritual vitality and life that God has breathed into us. I come to this pulpit tonight to tell you that the one thing that really matters in this life is spending time in the presence of Jesus Christ. I come to tell you that the one thing that really matters is finding a place in your life to refresh your spirit, to refresh that inner man. The one thing that really matters uh, is that you get divine direction uh, for your life. The one thing that really matters uh, is that you find a holy anointing to sustain you. The one thing that you need above everything else in your life is to spend time at the feet of the master you can't afford to neglect that one thing because that one thing empowers everything else when we get that one thing right the other things fall into their proper place when we get that one thing right, uh, the abiding peace of his presence overflows uh, into the many things that trouble us. When we get that one thing right, uh, the joy of being with him overflows uh, into the mundane daily task uh, of getting the many things done in our lives. Make no mistake about it. What Martha was doing she was doing for Jesus. As a matter of fact, one could easily argue that Martha was busy about the work of the kingdom. She was serving Jesus, quite literally. She was serving him. But the point that Jesus was making is that the work of the kingdom begins with being with him. It begins with sitting at his feet. It begins with spending time in his presence. And if it doesn't start there, it doesn't start anywhere. If we neglect 
that critical, necessary element in our lives, then we've missed the whole point of working for the kingdom. We've missed the whole point of serving Jesus Christ. If it doesn't start with being in his presence, if it doesn't start with sitting at his feet, then we've missed what it means to serve him. There are a lot of necessary things that must be done in order for us just to have a church service. Musicians have got to get together and practice and prepare. They recognize that what they do, they do unto God. And they want to do it to the very best of their ability. They can't sit at home and practice individually. They've got to get together. They've got to practice together. They put hours in. They put time in nobody else knows about making sure they get the music right. The singers, the praise singers, they've got to they've got to apply themselves to their craft. They've got to work to excel at what they do. And on off nights when you're resting, on off nights when you're doing something else, they're up here working on they're singing songs until they're sick of singing the songs. Because that's necessary. That's what it takes to get it right. We're going to have church and do it right. There are Sunday school teachers that have to study and apply themselves. There are kids' church teachers. They've got to come up with some exciting new way to talk to young people. There are youth teachers and young adult teachers and the folks that have to study and have to prepare themselves and have to get their work done and have to do and apply themselves to the job that they do in the church. There's a sound man back there that he's the first one to walk through those doors, most services. He's got a job to do, and it's important. There's a preacher that puts untold hours worth of of study and effort and labor into preaching. There are people who clean the church when nobody else is here. There are people who empty the trash cans, and there are people who help maintain the church and take care of the church. There's a whole lot of effort that goes into making this church run smoothly. There are a lot of things, many things, that simply must be done but listen to pastor tonight we can't afford to get our priorities out of order the many things must be subordinate to the one thing to the only thing that really matters in our lives all of the other things that we do around the church depend on the one thing to make them effective. All of the other things that we're involved in depend on the one thing to provide it with power and anointing. Uh, There's something dreadfully wrong uh, with us uh, if we think uh, that we can let the many things uh, about the church house choke out the one thing that really matters. The power, the anointing, the ability to be led of the Spirit, all of that relies on the one thing. Ben Patterson pointed out the fact that churches can run without prayer. But he asked a very important question. If we can do it without prayer, is it really worth doing? Think about it. We can have church 
without prayer. We can play our songs. We can sing our songs. We can sing our choruses. We can, we can teach shallow, empty, meaningless lessons. We can preach simple, powerless sermons. We can go through the motions and we can do it all without prayer. We can do the many things and we can do them without prayer. But if we do, what in the world are we accomplishing? What in the world is the use of having church without prayer? If the only hope that a lost world has is based on what we can do in and of ourselves without prayer, then my friend, there's no hope for a lost world. Point is not that we should neglect the many things that we do. The point is that we can't afford to neglect the one thing. We can't afford to neglect prayer. We can't afford to neglect to spend time in the presence of the king. We can't afford uh, to neglect uh, that nourishing for our soul that comes from the presence of God. The many things that we do absolutely must be saturated with the power of the presence of God. When we pray, his anointing flows. When we pray, the spirit of God uh, gives an efficacy to everything that we do. When we pray, he makes makes our singing powerful. When we pray, he turns our music into anointed music. When we pray, he transforms Sunday school classrooms into places where kids can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When we pray, there's anointing in the preaching. We can't afford to neglect the one thing. Everything that we do as a church needs to be saturated with prayer Amen. You shouldn't even clean the church without prayer behind it. Amen. Everything that we do depends upon the one thing that we must do. Everything. Everything in the church. Everything in your life. Everything in your home. Everything in your family needs to be saturated with prayer. Listen to me. We live exhausted lives because we think we have to neglect the one thing in order to accomplish the many things. We live tired, weak, and weary because we fail to realize that we can't accomplish the many things without the one. As long as we're doing the many things in our lives, out of our own ability, out of our own talent, out of our own strength, we will always be empty and tired and unfulfilled, and there will never be any Holy Ghost power in it. But when the many things in our lives are influenced and directed by the one thing that really matters, everything in our lives will be transformed all of a sudden there's purpose 
all of a sudden there's a certain sense of fulfillment that comes from being in harmony with heaven. All of a sudden, our soul is satisfied and our faith is loosed. And instead of seeing our inabilities, instead of seeing all the stuff that we can't get done, instead of seeing that we could run ourselves crazy and run ourselves ragged and we can't get it all done, all of a sudden we stand amazed at God's incredible provision and grace and we watch as he does things that we can't even begin to do when we pray when we make prayer a priority it changes everything else when we pray it empowers everything that we do when we pray our feeble efforts are anointed by the power of God and he that can do all things uh, uses our efforts to accomplish his divine purpose when we pray this church will grow we will have revival when we put the one thing back in the primary place. When we recognize that the anointing of God is more important than anything else in my life. If I don't get anything else right, I've got to get the one thing. You see, Martha's main problem was that she felt responsible for making it all come together. She is troubled with the many things because they represent to her the things that she can do. They're the things that she can accomplish. She sees the need and she's doing her best in her human effort to satisfy the need. And she really thinks that without her effort, the job won't get done. The reason that we get caught in the trap of the many things is that we think that the many things are necessary to accomplish the purpose of God in our lives. We think that God's going to use the many things to get his job done, to get done what he wants done in our lives. I want to make another point about the many things. The many things are not God's method. The many things are not what God uses. The many things aren't how God gets his business done. They're our method. They represent our abilities and our talents and what we can do. The business, the effort, the multitude of jobs and programs and all the busy work that we come up with, they represent our very best efforts that's why we can do church without prayer that that's why we can we can go through the motions without praying because it doesn't require prayer to play an instrument it doesn't require prayer to sing a song it doesn't require prayer to teach a sunday school lesson it doesn't even require prayer to preach a sermon all of those things are meaningful to us they are how we do church but they're not God's method. God's method is people. God doesn't use a song. He uses a singer. God doesn't use the music. He uses a musician. God doesn't use a Sunday school lesson. He uses a Sunday school teacher. 
God doesn't use a sermon. He uses a preacher. God uses men and women to accomplish his purpose. God uses lives that are submitted to him. God uses people. And people become usable to God when they do the one thing. People become usable to God when they pursue the one thing. People become the vehicle that God can use when they recognize the only thing that is needed, the only thing that is essential, the only thing that is non-negotiable is that I sit at his feet. I'm a preacher. Studying is of utmost importance to me. I don't like coming to a pulpit unless I've thoroughly studied the topic in hand. But if I don't ever learn that God doesn't use my study, he uses my submission to him. God doesn't use my pretty words. He uses that anointing that's on my life. If all I ever think about is how I can preach a better sermon, I may become the favorite preacher of a whole lot of people, but I'll never become God's favorite instrument because God uses lives that are submitted to him. And if I have to neglect my study time to get my prayer time, if I have to neglect the pursuit of the many things to get the one thing, I've got to understand the one thing is what really matters to him. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry, ma'am. But God doesn't need your talents. God doesn't need your abilities. God doesn't need your skills. He doesn't need your programs. He doesn't need your plans. He doesn't need all the many things that you can do. He needs you more than he needs anything else. He needs your heart. He needs your, your, your very being to be turned towards him. He needs your soul to hunger after him. He needs your heart to thirst after him. He needs you. He needs you more than he needs anything that you can do. God uses men and women. They are his chosen instrument. You see, the power isn't in the many things that we do the power is in a life that is submitted to God the power is in a life that has been anointed by the hand of God the power flows from having been in his presence the one thing isn't just the most important thing. It is the vital, necessary element that makes everything else work. When we pray, He transforms the many things when we pray. It's His anointing that makes the difference. Men are God's method. Women, young people, that submit themselves to God. We're all the time looking for better methods. We're all the time looking for better plans, better programs, and a new thing 
something that will help shake things up and make it better. It's because we're still troubled about the many things. What we've got to understand is God don't need a new method. And God don't need a new program. And God don't need new themes. And God don't need new things. What God needs is better people. God needs people who will turn their heart to him. God needs people who will turn themselves in the pursuit of him. God needs people who will spend time in his presence. God needs people that will make it a priority to go before his throne on a regular basis. God needs people who will submit their lives and everything about them to his presence and to his anointing. What the church needs, what God needs, what this city needs is people who will make spending time with God their priority one thing that's why we must pray that's why we must seek his face the secret to revival isn't in a new program it isn't in a new focus it lies in the one necessary thing the one thing that we can't do without the one thing that really matters prayer is what powers the church. Prayer is what transforms our services. I said this last Sunday night. There are a lot of institutions that can do everything that we do. There are a lot of other places that can do every, and some can do it better than we do it. But what sets us apart is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. What makes this house different from any other house of worship in this city is the one thing. And if we neglect the one thing, there's no difference. What sets us apart is that we seek the anointing and the presence and the power of God in our lives. The one thing, the essential thing, the necessary thing, we must because prayer is what brings his anointing. Prayer is what settles that authority and unction of the Spirit upon us. It is prayer that transforms us from being mere men to being instruments in the hand of a mighty God. It is prayer that changes everything. Jesus said, Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. Mary chose the one thing. That tells me that in the eyes of Jesus, Martha had a choice. Sure, the many things needed to be done, but Martha could have chosen to put the one thing first. Sure, the many things were necessary, but Martha could have taken the time to sit at the feet of the Master. Martha could have made Jesus the priority in her life and listened and learned and been refreshed in her spirit. And then, after her time with the Master, she could have accomplished the many things that needed to be done.
and probably would have had the assistance of her sister if only she would have put the one thing first. The difference is that if she had chosen the one thing before she sought to fulfill the many things, she would have still accomplished the many things that needed to be done, but they wouldn't have been nearly the burden and trouble to her soul that they became when she put them first. If only she had chosen the one thing that really mattered. Would you stand with me? Brother Ryan, would you come?